0: Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast where you'll get the real on all things sports, music and pop culture.
1: Boys, so cool.
0: And here are your hosts Vishwant and Partha.
2: Pilot boys in the building. We're back part. That's episode 75. For some reason that feels a little special and it's also your 25th episode. Uh, oh
1: my gosh. I'm halfway through a year with you, dude.
2: Yeah, I know brother. It's been a, uh, it's been a nice run. And, uh, <laughs>
1: I feel like I was born for this. I really do.
2: I think you do a great job, man. I think you do. A great oh, job.
1: I wasn't fishing, but I appreciate it, bro
2: i know i know i think you uh you provide a good balance to uh to my uh sometimes uh crazy self and vice versa my friend
1: <laughs> talking about i i want to jump right into our first news topic because i would consider this in the box of crazy but not crazy in the way like we would use it in society mm-hmm. crazy in the way like maybe you don't want to tempt fate um lil nas x i hope everybody's seen this collab that went out he's uh uh trying to make a statement about what it was like for him to come out, and so he dropped this track montero last week really great song and part of his launch was six hundred sixty six pairs of Nike shoes that all have a drop of blood in them, yeah and uh it's a it's like a an evil looking shoe and I, I don't know I don't know man i just I would never tempt fate in that way.
2: Yeah. I just think that there's a Lil Nas X is a very interesting artist. You know, I think we've talked about him a few times, how he broke into the industry with, um, with old town road, brilliant record, all time record. That's going to generate revenue for him, hopefully to pay off this loss. Some of it will pay off this lawsuit that Nike's <laughs> uh, filing against him is there's It's interesting in, in music and art that, that, Line you have to tow between understanding who your audience is because it's a business for you and you're trying to generate revenue and then also exercising creative liberty and and utilizing your art to express yourself. And in this scenario, Lil Nas I think made a misstep in a couple, from a business standpoint, he really made a a huge misstep in misunderstanding who, who his market is old town road is a pop record it's generated nothing but pop hysteria most of his market honestly is kids young kids and not saying that there's anything wrong with releasing a song like this if this is what you feel like as an artist you should you should do just be aware of the 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 potential that that comes with from a business standpoint right like this wasn't expected from Lil Nas X. I personally don't haven't really felt a lot of his music since Old Town Road. Uh, his album had a lot of anticipation toward it, but I just feel like the music itself has fallen flat. And now we're seeing more of the persona and personality. He's a great follow on Twitter. He's entertaining. He's always doing stuff to push the needle. But I wonder if that is a way to cover up. Um, maybe an artistic block or creative block in his music not being received the way that Old Town Road does. They always say like when we had Reza on, like when you produce your first record and it's your biggest hurt, hit, the the problems that that kind of can create internally to try to follow up. I need another Old Town Road versus just being yourself as an artist. And I think that's some of what's going on here. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would, I would totally agree with that assessment you know Lil Nas X is one of those guys that uh he seems like honestly a a great hang seems like a really friendly guy um yeah but it it doesn't feel like he's found his lane yet this is one of those it it clearly feels like one of those things that he's you know very smart about how to create controversy so this seems like a very calculated move but it feels like a miscalculation when you think about the values of society because when you live in you know LA or or somewhere like that you go in or even the bay area right like these these topics are you know pretty well accepted and you're going to fly free but when you get into kind of the midwest the south like the rest of this country
2: yeah
1: people aren't going to be super happy and even in like the most progressive of cities like satanic culture is just not very much appreciated and I just, yeah, yeah I, don't, I just putting blood in a shoe, man, it's got to be bad karma.
2: Yeah. And then, you, you know, you and I agree on that. You know, everyone has a different set of values and, you know, we respect the fact that we live in America and everybody has the freedom of expression and freedom to choose religion, freedom to choose sexuality. And I also do understand some of what he was trying to do when I heard his explanation. It's just all about how you do it. And I don't yeah. think he did it and then also to then make the misstep i really thought it was a miscalculation to do this partnership with a nike shoe create your own shoe why would you take a one of the biggest brands in the country and not think that there was going to be a lawsuit and i don't see how them and the brand i forget what the brand is that co- that co-sponsor yeah. this how they are going to win how they're going to come out of this lawsuit without paying a huge price
1: no no. this is one of those things that you know you, you can't you can't really have your name tied to it because of the lawsuit yeah. right i mean yeah. re- reselling and sneaker culture is huge nike for the most part allows a lot of companies yeah. to just like paint on their products and resell them yeah. right they don't have to do that and i think that's where a lot of people forget how resale culture works like Nike is choosing to be a pretty dope brand and allow creatives to do whatever they want. They don't ask for a piece of that. They don't, they don't, you know, block anything, but uh, it, it does beg an interesting question though, which is that are you, are you not allowed to do something to a product that you've already purchased or is the fact that the Nike brand is being leveraged in the marketing of this really the bigger issue? And if it's the latter, then is there a way that Lil Nas X could have marketed this without um, you know, causing that sort of um, conflict?
2: I mean, he was very well aware, as he said, of the controversy. He planned this thing for nine months. Not, yeah. Lil Nas X doesn't do anything accidentally, um, but I do think he's still a young artist, and just because he's smart doesn't mean he understands all the nuances of the laws and trademarks and branding. Um, And this he probably somebody in his label or somebody on the team should have said, hey, this song is going to be controversial. This product is going to be controversial. Nike probably isn't going to like that. If you came to me and said, hey, I'm going to do a devil sock, I would probably say something to you. Hey, I hope you're aware of the potential risk here for your brand. Right. And I completely understand Nike's perspective on this one. They're not making any money off of this. They didn't co-sign it. And I saw many headlines saying little Nas X releases Nike Nike shoe. You know, when you put it out, it looks
1: like it looks like they've sponsored it.
2: Especially if it's somebody like little Nas X, that's a part of it, right? His brand is so big that this looks like a Nike co-branded shoe. And I, and I honestly think he's in a hell of a lot of trouble with this personally
1: financially for sure he's he's really gonna get get hit from this one um man what a what an interesting situation to find yourself in and I think it's it's a moment for Lil Nas X to maybe realize he's he's a bit more famous than he thought
2: yeah that probably (laughs) that probably is it and then also managing you know it's great to leverage your fame but You do have to be, you know, I hate to say this, but everybody just wants to be able to do whatever they want to do. But when you have investors and you have interested parties invested in your brand, there is some obligation that you have um, to to being considerate of that. You can say you don't care, but maybe he doesn't care if his career ends and he doesn't make money. But there are a lot of parents who are really, really upset about this and they are the people that buy his merch Who's who spend money on their on, on his products, you know, and you do have to sometimes yeah. be considerate of that.
1: Yeah, and there's this uh you know infamous line uh, from "Take care, you belong to the people when you're outside." Uh, something yeah. maybe Lil Nas X, uh, you know, is learning now that when you get yep. a level of fame, you no longer are yourself to the people that idolize you. When people yeah. treat you with fame, you have a responsibility to. You know, be the person that they need you to be for that moment. And that's just kind of what you're trading for that
2: exactly. And you know, let's not be too judgmental here. He is young. You know, no one can appreciate like that type of fame, overnight yeah. celebrity, how the the challenges that creates. And he's going to make some missteps. But it's all about learning from the mistakes and 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 moving forward. And hopefully, he he starts learning some some lessons from this and takeaways for his his next project.
1: Yeah, well, here's the spin. I'll just I'll give him the solution right now. Don't drop the don't drop the shoe. Apologize to Nike, and then drop a LGBT themed shoe and give the proceeds to a charity and drop 626 of them because June 26th is the date that um, that um, marriage was made equal.
2: Yes. Yeah,
1: there's some, uh, you know, free advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that's think, the, uh, that's I the think, spin uh, out of this situation.
2: Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to at an at little Nas X say, hey, we got a solution for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, all these things like if you were to spin it into something positive, I think it's a situation where you know everyone would be like, hey, like there's a good headline in it, and Nike Nike gets a good headline too, where they're like, hey, you know. We saw this happening, and we stepped in because it's not what we stand for, and we lined it up to something we stand for.
2: Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Great solution. Unless
1: they've already shipped the shoes, in which case yeah, the damage has been done. <laughs> Man, no. talking a, about yeah. damage. Yeah. Um, let's <laughs> let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets and how they've damaged the <laughs> parody in the NBA <laughs> here
2: <laughs> he goes of every NBA team.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, do you watch the RDC World skits?
2: No, I haven't seen it. Never seen them.
1: So uh, they're so yeah, funny. So it's this guy who uh, he's always like pretending to be LeBron during these things. And the last oh, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah when that. Harden got I traded to. to the Nets,
2: he goes, I'm not Thanos. <laughs> 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 yeah, <I remember> that. <laughs> And it's so funny that you mentioned that because I... Here, here's the reality super teams in the NBA are nothing new it actually is something that LeBron triggered with his move to Miami um, back in the day and then also it's uh and also with with what happened in Cleveland he wasn't part of an average team he had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in their primes and the, you know I think the thing that triggered this really is how much people dislike Kevin Durant and um, and specifically the <laughs> the move that he made uh, to go to to Golden State, and but I think this is an interesting conversation. If you go back and you look at the team that Bill Russell played with, it was full of superstars. If you look at the the Showtime Lakers, one to eleven, they had all star caliber players. Same with the Detroit Pistons. The only team that you can really say wasn't like a super team, even though he had legitimate stars on his team as well as michael jordan Um, but this is nothing new this is par for course the question is also does it matter like when you're evaluating what you want to do the value that comes with winning an nba championship for your individual brand your team's brand why wouldn't you go all in like i don't understand the criticism if the opportunity is there then why wouldn't the brooklyn nets take it you know what i mean
1: you're right it's not on the Brooklyn Nets it's on it's on Adam Silver why these teams are forming right because remember back in the day Chris Paul was supposed to go play with Kobe yep and they said no yep you know that that would not have been the degree of unfairness that even the LeBron move the Miami created
2: yeah I mean that's the thing you're right it is on the NBA and maybe this is what they want you know
1: they want um, Kevin Durant to to take the reins so LeBron can shift into they retirement. Want, they
2: wanted they wanted a competitive finals, right? Yeah, and, and nobody. And it's so funny. It's like how the thing about basketball fans. It's so funny to me is when you hear Lakers fans complain about this. It's like, did did you guys not see what everyone was saying when you guys had the off that you had and you <laughs> traded for Anthony Davis when you already had LeBron James? It's like <laughs> suddenly they're like, oh, Brooklyn's trying to trying to trying to cheat their way to no. You guys would do the exact same thing, <laughs> and you just signed Andre Drummond off of the buyout market. Yeah, too.
1: also, they were trying to do the same thing. They just didn't yeah. do it successfully. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, yeah, it's hilarious. The, the, the people that I feel, feel badly for is, is the Dame Lillards, the Giannis's of the world who still have this idea and sense of, I'm going to be loyal to my team. The, the real price for that is you're not going to win a championship. And that's sad that that's true. That you got you have guys who truly, truly want to be competitive and win a championship. I, I hate to even use the phrase the you know the hard way or the old school way of doing it because I don't know if that's the reality or not. But you feel for these guys, right? Like I always say, like one of my basketball dreams is seeing Dame Lillard and and Giannis playing together uh, somewhere and winning a championship. You know what I mean? Bro, like,
1: that would be amazing, but both of their personalities prevent that from happening.
2: Exactly. Unless, yeah. unless and and what's so funny about it is is that when you look at their loyalty to their teams, like if Dame Lillard drops off a little bit, look at what happened to Russell West Westbrook. And
1: oh, he'll, he'll be, be traded in 2 seconds. He'll be traded.
2: So it's like the question is, is 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 that mentality even a valuable mentality to have in the reality of the market that you you operate in, right? do you have to adjust when you're an NBA player to saying, Hey, these are the rules by which people are winning. I want to win. I have to do the same thing. Is that, is that essentially the error that we're in? And is that how these guys should adjust their mentalities or is there still some value in them kind of saying, I'm going to figure out a way to do this in my squad, in my city,
1: dude, I think you're spot on. I mean, there's there's no reason to stay in one place. And especially in a Tier 2 market, just like any other job, you can't get paid as much or do as much as you could in a Tier 1 market. That's just the nature of how, how it works. So if you're going to stay in Portland or stay in Milwaukee, there's a ceiling there because the amount of you know revenue running through that team, while they do have passionate fan bases, it's, it's limited by the fact that it's not in a major city. It just can't yeah. pass a certain level of scale. So... You're always going to have a better shot in New York or in L.A. Or, yep. you know, surprisingly, even from some of the Texas teams uh, compared to Portland or Milwaukee or really most the other cities.
2: Yeah, I agree. And the only way that it's going to happen is if some of these superstars say, I want to go join up in a tier two market, you know, what yeah. I mean, um, and that's. Unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen with the culture of the NBA in a city like Milwaukee and unlikely to happen in a city like Portland. When these guys get bought out, um, they want to go to a major market. Like Blake Griffin spent most of his career in LA and then got shipped off to Detroit. Where do you think he's gonna go when he gets freedom again? You know? Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. it just is what it is, and the culture is the culture. And let's let's also not Jump to a conclusion. Blake Griffin has been, been criticized quite a bit as being on the downward side of his career. Same with LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, these guys are, are ring chasing. Let's not evaluate them. If we don't like what the Brooklyn Nets are doing, or don't like Kevin Durant. let's not evaluate him as Blake Griffin in, in, in Lob City and LaMarcus Aldridge in his prime years in Portland. They're they're not the same players anymore either. So yeah. I would
1: say to that point, though, the one the one flip is that if you were to look at like, you know, like a Kendrick Perkins, right, who was yep. typically filled that type of role in the past, that's a guy who never really had the he he had never entered the conversation in his career of being one of the top five or top ten yep. players in the league. Both yep. Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge were in that conversation. Yeah. yeah. So the Difference in what they bring to the court, yes, their skill level might be a lot worse, their bodies might be a lot worse, but the way in which they approach the game is just a lot more meaningful. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: It is. And I think also like when we look at this analysis, like we under we understand that there's a culture now and a a economy around analysis being driven by your opinion and your personal feelings. That's what moves the needle. So, when we see the reactions to these deals, I think it's also very helpful to understand that this is entertainment. This is a show. When you hear Stephen A. Smith complaining and whining about what the Brooklyn Nets are doing, he knows that that moves a needle, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's let you can object when you objectively analyze these things. You understand that, yeah, this is a huge win for the Brooklyn Nets. Just getting James Harden, Ky- Kyrie Irving—you could throw any other three guys—they were already at a superior level compared to everyone else, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's fun to have these conversations and say, "Oh, the Brooklyn Nets are cheating their way." That's all just a headline that moves the needle and gets clicks. let its not—it's yeah. not, it's not well, about basketball. I mean. Now.
1: To add into like Kyrie, Harden, and Durant together, all healthy at the same time, is a pretty unbeatable team. Yeah. Now, in a series of seven, if they were to go down one, I think things change because then you're you're talking about locker room dynamics, you're talking about coaching, you're talking about adjustments, strategy adjustments. There's a lot of nuance to the game in which you know a new team that it's their first year together, not ton of chemistry. uh, You know they might falter as a result of that.
2: Yeah, they might. And and the, the reality, and I think you brought up a good point, is the reason that these super teams have such a competitive advantage versus what we're seeing in March Madness and the NCAA, any team can beat any team on one night. But when you set up these seven-game series, it makes it much more difficult to do. And so that might be something. You bring up a, a good point about that as well. That might be something also to increase parity that the NBA considers doing as well is saying, hey, maybe we don't have seven games, maybe we do best of three, to make the other teams have a better shot versus these super teams that are <laughs> virtually unbeatable. We knew every year that we were going to see Golden State out of the West and LeBron out of the East. You know what I mean? You could predict. Yeah. It, there was no, no matter how many wins the Raptors or the Hawks or anyone else put up during the regular season, we knew what the finals was going to be. Yeah, You know?
1: Yeah, straight up. You know, speaking of um, players, players in the league, let's jump to Russell Westbrook, put up a 35 point 20, more than 20 rebound triple double. He's a baller, man. So, you know, Russ, the the question that, you know, V's posed here with this uh, stat is why doesn't he get respect is one of the best of all time. And, uh, you know, I think I think he did in his MVP season, but. Russ is one of those guys that just lays too low and lets the media you know, control his narrative because he's not super interested in engaging there. And uh, from all accounts, he's like the nicest dude ever. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: He's so a, it's
1: like, yeah, yeah. It's, it sucks to see somebody get dragged so much.
2: Yeah, it's so unfortunate because he's also been known as a great teammate. Every locker room he's been in, he's a great teammate. And part of the reason that he wanted out of, of Houston was that he didn't he held his own good friend accountable he didn't like what he was seeing from James Harden you know what i mean he's a guy that puts basketball first he loves the game family first guy as well he stays out of the headlines he's very very brilliant from a fashion standpoint as well you know he's a, he's a fashion leader in the nba and he's doing some cool things from a business standpoint there too I just think he doesn't give a fuck what the media says about him. And he's okay with that because he's making his moves. And it does present a great example of someone who is looking for intern. We talk about this a lot, who cares more about the internal validation he's chasing versus the external world, validating him for something that he already knows he is, you know what I mean? And I think there's a lot to be learned. He's, he's my favorite player in the NBA, not just from a skill standpoint, but because of that, right? Yeah. Him and Dame Lillard really are guys that I really respect for that. They are authentically themselves. They don't give a damn what you say about them and they work their asses off. Like this guy has averaged a triple double for multiple seasons at a time and he, Gets it done scoring. He's a streak. Yeah, you can have critique him like he's a streaky shooter. He's an alpha personality. Sometimes he should be willing to de- defer to his teammates more. But when a guy puts up twenty plus assists, you can't say he's not a team first guy. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. I think it's yeah. a media. It's a media narrative, but I think NBA players know what it is with Russ.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a hundred percent true. I, I, he's he's just one of those guys that. I don't know. It's easy for people to hate. It's easy for people to hate an athlete. It's easy for people to hate somebody who's super far ahead on fashion, who's not worried about saying the right thing to the media and is just, you know, doing his own thing. And, uh, you know, the older I get, V, the more I see people projecting their shit onto athletes and getting upset about it. Even like, even the commentators, you know, commenting on his game, right? Oh, he should pass more, he should shoot more, whatever you want to comment. He's clearly very, very good. Maybe the teammates around him should be structured differently to better complement his game, right? Like, it sounds like a GM problem, not a Russell problem for most of the comments around him.
2: 100%, you know, and he couldn't control. And the thing is, him and Kevin Durant had the 70-win Golden State Warriors in Game 7, you know, and they were up 3-1. I
1: had money on them that game, too. Yeah, and and lost it.
2: So he couldn't control the fact that He can't, like you said, it's on his teammates and the GM. He couldn't control the fact that Oklahoma City couldn't figure out a way to keep Kevin Durant and that Kevin Durant decided not to follow his competitive instincts. Cause that's what really makes it unique and why I'm critical of Kevin Durant is the fact that he was on the team that almost beat these guys and then went to that team and then left Russ out to Pastor. Like I thought that that was, um, that was my issue with it. It's not about pursuing the best opportunity for yourself. I think everyone has the right to do that. I think that's why some of the criticism of Kevin Durant is fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that it it was one of those situations that you look at and it it really felt like they could have gone to the finals that year. And if yeah. they were up on that Warriors team, it felt that you know I I didn't have them beating the Cavs. I thought the Cavs would have won that series. Um, but a final strip in 2000, was it 12 against the Heat? You know, super honestly, super understaffed in terms of what OKC brought to the table. Um, then getting rid of Harden, who turns out to be one of the best, yeah. They chose Ibaka over Harden, they chose, you know, they made a lot of bad decisions. Yep. So I don't, I don't blame Kevin Durant for leaving on that front either because you're seeing a GM that just like. Made your team worse, honestly, over yeah. over several years. That you are getting much much better. So I understand why you'd want to be be somewhere better. But I mean, that's that's kind of the thing with the small market teams. That margin of error is less because yeah. the bigger cities always seem more tempting.
2: Yeah, and then you know when you trade him, you trade him to a Rockets team that isn't an ideal fit with James Harden being the ball do- already being majority ball dominant player, and then you trade him. Again, I think this fit with Bradley Beal is great for him because Bradley Beal definitely doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time to be effective. But like you said, in in being the Washington Wizards, there's a few more pieces that they need. If they added one more significant piece, you're telling me the Wizards wouldn't be a championship contender? They could be. But again, like you said, a lot of this is not Russ's fault. He controls what he can control. And I also think he's not one of those guys that – tries to dictate everything um and where he's gonna go he he accepts what comes to him and what life presents and i think that's a really really awesome way to live and i respect him quite a bit
1: yeah yeah totally agree with you well we got some other news articles which one do you want to do v
2: pick one man pick one pick one that I, i sent a few over pick one that you uh you've got a strong opinion on
1: let's talk about going to space
2: okay how did I know that was the one you're going to pick? That's a that's a pilot boy's topic, if any I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a pilot boy's topic. <laughs> so you want to you want to give the context here?
2: Yeah, uh, Virgin Galactic, which is a one of multiple companies, um, specifically Richard Branson has always been a lifestyle type of guy. Um, I think this fits well within his brand, but they've created a new spaceship. The goal of Virgin Galactic is to make space travel for citizens possible, um, which I think is a is a pretty cool like goal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we get there or not has been filled with complications, but they they released a new prototype um, that they're going to put into testing. It looks really cool. Um, that hopefully will be a ship that can carry people like you and I for a very maybe not you and I quite yet in a few years uh, for an exorbitant amount of sum of money to space to see yeah. the stars and the moon and, and that big black sky that we all want to travel to. What do you, what are your thoughts first on this concept itself? And then secondly, um, the companies that are trying to make this happen and how, how you think and when you think that this is going to be, one, affordable for, you know, the average average citizen.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I love it. And I think we should both go. And I think we should make it an irresponsible financial decision. Like we should go way before we should be able to really like afford this. Right. I agree. I agree. Down payment for a house. Go to space. I'd rather go to space any day. Yeah. A hundred percent. So. Yep. Yeah, that, that's my view on it. Um, yeah. The sad thing that comes to mind is that it's going to turn into a status symbol so fast. Yeah, And if, if I see Instagram girls going to space, posting those videos, <laughs> I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be triggered. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. It's because I really want to go to space.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I want to go to space with people who appreciate it, right? For, I mean,
1: for it's being space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: like, actually, I do not want to go up there and be dealing with a whole bunch of people posing for their selfies and asking me to take pictures of them. Yeah, I want to enjoy the experience.
1: You know, that's a good point, too. Would you even take a uh, I'm sure you'd take one picture.
2: Well, we'll take we take a couple. I think yeah. the experience is worth documenting. But you know how the culture is. Literally, people would sit on their phones the whole damn yeah. time. You know, Yeah. I yeah. want to have a conversation about the shit that we're seeing. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what would be insane is um I'm not sure like the length. I, I think it's is still be like limited time that they take you into space, like an hour, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, I think it's limited at this point. Yeah.
1: But still, I mean you would experience some some level of, of um weightlessness. You would you would uh you'd see some stuff, man. And who doesn't want to like do that thing where you turn around and you see the earth?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. That,
2: that's that's amazing. And you know the thing about you and I, we we already talk about like how amazing this shit is. I was just having this conversation uh, yesterday about how the moon, I mean the sun, the fact that we can actually see the sun, yeah, is so it it still amazes me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it, it, you know, and it's, I think. Yeah, it's it's just it's just one of those things man that i think everyone should do you have any idea of how much the cost is because virgin galactic they're they're trying to i think richard branson is trying to take the first first trip here um within months not even years
1: that's awesome um you know my guess is that when they actually like create when there's a website that you can book it it'll probably be at like 100k or something like that yep um But my guess is that in ten years it'll probably be a few thousand dollars. It'll probably be like five to ten k.
2: Yeah, that's the only way to make it a sustainable business model, right? Like you'll you'll be able to get millionaires and billionaires. Mostly billion, mostly you you have to be about have about fifty to hundred million (laughs) dollar net worth, unless you're being fiscally irresponsible, like you and I are probably going to be. Well, yeah, to,
1: we will definitely be irresponsible <laughs>
2: yeah. to drop a hundred, drop a hundred k uh, to fly to space. You know? Yeah, what I mean? but, yeah. You know. And hopefully,
1: they have like Disney come in to design the experience of getting into the ship. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it would be great to make that something special
2: because it's pretty cool. I don't know if you, if you remember when you went to Disney World, they actually have a space experience. It's pretty. Oh, you better cool.
1: believe I remember. Yeah, you was- better believe me
2: it's it's pretty it's pretty cool
1: yeah it's so cool man if we could if we could go to space i don't know i don't know what would change but i feel we would be completely different
2: upon returning would you be scared
1: no no if i were to die in space it would be a death worth worth living you know okay yeah yeah i agree how about you yeah same thing i I mean if
2: it's your time it's your time yeah i'm a fundamental believer in that i don't know about you but yeah me too you know yeah, yeah, it's I'm too stressful. It. It's too stressful to think any other way.
1: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if they make the space trip like, uh, like the Niagara Falls ferry? Oh man, <laughs> just corny and terrible and <laughs> oh, crowded. Man,
2: that would be terrible. But <laughs> when you look at the brands that are that are trying to make it happen, um, and the leadership behind it, I highly doubt that that's the good, good, going yeah. to be the experience.
1: Uh, yeah, we we all hope for a Disney level space experience yeah yep it's that's what it will be though you'll go to disney world you're going to epcot and then one of the one of the new countries will just be like the the new frontier and they'll just shoot (laughs) you up
2: (laughs) where i'm not sure about is i'm not sure if i'll ever want to go live on a in a a isolated colony in mars like elon musk does but you know that one's a little i'm not sure if i'm ready for that quite yet
1: no (laughs) dude (laughs) I also want to talk about the um, the blood moon that happened on Sunday. Did you see that? Yeah. That it's, shit was crazy.
2: Nature and, and space is such an amazing thing.
1: Yeah. So we were on a rooftop and just by coincidence, we're having dinner. And the plan was, let's catch the sunset on the roof, have dinner. Yeah. And in the distance, we saw like this red thing like rising on the opposite side of the sun. You didn't even know what was happening. No, we had no idea. We're like, is that the moon? And just watched it rise. It gets about halfway up. And then Nafis, who, you know, our listeners have heard on here before looks over to the left and we're sitting at like a glass paneled thing. And he's like, is there another moon over there? And it looked, (laughs) I swear to God, the reflection of the blood moon in the, the glass, uh, yeah, you know, partition at the end of the the yeah. terrace we were on looked like another moon was rising over the hills, Wow. and we were just we saw two moons and a sun and we were freaking out.
2: That's crazy. Yeah, that's that was a uh, that was that was meant to happen. You guys deciding to go? go that's to what I.
1: That that's what I felt as well. It's, yeah. There's just some things that you know you can't control. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Man. <sighs> Do you want to do you want to hit any more of these headlines, V, or do you want to just jump into our deep topic?
2: Well, I would, I would. Let's take a break and jump into our deep dive topic because I think some of the other headlines are going to change our energy. Uh, from, downer headlines. They're they're definitely downer <laughs> headlines. So we can't talk about space and then go back go backwards. Um, they are stories that are current that are being covered in the media. So always be aware and and. And discuss them but we're going to choose to stay in a positive mind frame yeah today.
1: we're gonna help everybody uh get their head in the clouds
2: definitely definitely so we'll Maybe be back here the stars. In the, s- the stars sound better yeah well we'll be back on the other side of this and if you are on the internets and you love the content always remember to check out our patreon um and donate if you s- if you want to
0: Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast.
1: Hey guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes the Lasso Sock 2.0, the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding so every single step is stable soft and cool lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis achilles pain ankle soreness circulation issues and more check them out at lassogear.com or at lasso gear on social media
0: undo media is proud to be the production partner for the pilot boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com.
1: We actually did the opposite of what we said. We used all of your Patreon donations to start a <laughs> oh, the Boys the Space fund. So uh, <laughs> You know, that's going to that's gonna start building until this becomes retail ready.
2: Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Maybe we can, we can shoot an episode. That's the way we can justify it. Well We'll shoot an episode from space. Yeah. How, how great of branding would that be?
1: <laughs> if we shot an episode from Space V, <laughs> just don't drop any Nikes up there.
2: <laughs> I know, right?
1: <laughs> uh, let's talk about um, space travel and the the... Chance of death in space travel is, you know, the, a good way to transition into our deep topic, which is, you know, overcoming and living without fear. Yes. And fear is like, it's such a crippling thing. Uh, I'm not sure where I want to start this from. You want to, you want to frame this up for us, V?
2: I mean, I think we can talk about it from the context of, of living your life right? And being yourself, I think fear prevents us all from reaching our full potential as a person. And I think there are two, you know, there are two types of fear that fear doesn't go away. Like you understand this in business. It's like, there's the initial fear that you have of starting something or being yourself or, you know, revealing to the world what your true identity is or starting a business or a venture leaving your job and starting a starting a venture. So there's that right the the fear of starting something that isn't isn't structured or or given to you. And then the second thing is the ongoing fear that if you do choose to be yourself and and find your identity, the ongoing fears that you face as you go through your journey and how to manage those, right? So I think that's a good, I think that might be a good way to frame it, frame it is how do you overcome your fear of starting something? And then how do you manage the natural fear that you have as you continue on your journey towards self-identity? I don't know yeah. if that's a good way to frame no, it. No, I
1: love that. And I think I would, just to break that box further, that initial fear of like starting something, that's like a history-based fear. So that means there is some historical event that happened to you or in your life that prevents you from, you know, that it it set a memory that creates fear for you when you go back to it. So, for example, if you had, you know, um, if you're a kid, you're riding your bike, you fall. The fear of getting back on the bike. That's one example. The Mm -hmm. other one is like you're standing on a high dive and it's terrifying. That's your body. Right. It's yep. your body telling you don't don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so those are two separate pieces of fear. And
2: I speaking think it's which, speaking yeah. of which, I want yeah. to I want to tell a quick story about high dive. So when I was a kid, right, I didn't know how to swim. Uh-huh. But I had an older brother, and I was over here in the kiddie pool, like trying to learn how to swim. My brother and his friends were all on the high dive, and it looked way more fun. And so what I did was, as a kid, I think I was probably six years old. I didn't know how to uh-huh. swim. I just went up and I climbed up the high dive and jumped off. Uh huh. And, and I almost drowned. I got saved by a lifeguard. <laughs> it was cute. So it was, it was pretty cool. But you know, <laughs> I, it, it's that fear. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have the fear. Um. But I just wanted to throw that.
1: That's out. interesting. So you you didn't grow up like that. Hmm. So then, maybe we can reframe this and take a bolder thesis that there's no fear unless you know it's it's you know planted in you.
2: There definitely. I mean, of co- of course, it's planted in. in
1: there's you. animal instinct. There's an animal instinct element there we can't is. ignore. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there
2: is. And I think I probably was just ignoring it at that point because I was, a kid I was stupid, <laughs> very stupid. But I'm here yeah. today, so <laughs> yeah, made
1: it this far. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the concept of let's just start with the human centric fear and let's finish with the animal side of fear because that's okay. more challenging. I think the human side of fear, I think, is is quite straightforward. Things happen in your history and your brain remembers them to prevent you from feeling pain. It's an evolutionary mechanism to keep you alive. Right. Yeah. So you don't do things that you know could hurt you. Um, it also helps you stay more focused when you're doing something that requires more brain power, so you don't get distracted. Um, you know, there's that side of fear is not necessarily crippling to a person, but it it can be. You know, I, I think we both know people who struggle from their fear of what could happen, and. Yeah. You know what's on the other side of this door? Essentially, this action, yeah. this choice, I want to make. And uh, you know, there, the thing with life is that if you live like that, you have less experiences. And yeah. when you have less experiences, you have less knowledge, less understanding, less uh, confidence. Even on the other side of fear, right? Because every time you open that door, and there's something good, that builds confidence. That builds, you know, yeah. the desire to open another door. So, I I almost see fear on that side of things, as a symptom of having too low of a sample size as a person. What do you think?
2: I think think I agree with that, right? And I think one of the things that I think helps quell fear is experience, right? And making decisions and choices and going through that process of self-discovery, right? If you go through that process first, some of these things that you would otherwise fear, based on what you're saying, a lack of experience, You now have the experience to understand yourself and make decisions without thinking too much and getting in your own head because you trust your own judgment, right? Um, and, And the same fears don't exist because you've already built up an understanding of what you're scared of and what you're not scared of and what are real fears, what are real biological fears versus fears that you're creating in your own head, right? And if you are able to do that and get to that process, the only way you do that is by taking steps toward things that you fear and learning that they're not that scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's challenging when the fears conflict with your true nature. I think th- those are the areas where it paralyzes people the most. So, to expand yeah. on your point, like this, the, I had a recent situation that showed me kind of like two sides of the same coin. Um, I do a lot of speaking, and growing up, You know, especially as as my business started and all of that, I was terrified of speaking in front of people. Ever since I was a kid, when I would go to networking events, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to anybody. So I would have to uh, make it like a thing for myself that I need to talk to one person and get at least the business card before I allow myself to leave. So I would be at these events maybe an hour, you know, just standing by myself, and then it's like, okay, let me go talk to this person. And, you know, it was a very slow breaking down of my fear of like interacting with other people because I, I was so scared that I was going to get rejected or people were going to see me as an outsider. Like in in innately, I didn't feel like I belonged at that point. And that whole, you know, era of my life, which lasted, you know, six to eight years of like me struggling to be myself in all these situations came from this fear that I wouldn't be accepted yeah. if I was myself. And so, you know, I at that point it, I would have been hard pressed. Like I would, I would not have volunteered to stand in front of a group of, you know, people to communicate or lead anything. Like I was trying to, cause I knew my purpose was in that direction. I knew the life I wanted was in that direction. And I had like a kind of like a, a spiritual sense. I needed to go that way, but mentally I was crippled. And Just this weekend, I gave um, a talk that, you know, it should have thrown me off because I had prepped, um, I had prepped a bunch of slides, which I usually have for when I give talks and that helps me follow along, know where I'm going, et cetera. And uh, I just showed up and they were, they were like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't really do slides. I don't know why I thought there were slides. I'm sure they had told me that before, but it, sh- it in the past, I would have been shook and I probably yeah. would have done, you know, a mediocre job. But in my head, I was like, well, and this is how I deal with fear now is like, I might be scared of XYZ, but currently I am in the role that does this job. So I yeah. might as well live it up. Right. And it's like, I think about like, uh, think about like Jack Harlow, you know, mm-hmm. who's like, this this artist who wasn't super huge dropped a track now he's like in the middle of everything and yeah. everyone loves him you know he's getting features with every artist yeah this is a dude who when he's on tv or when he's on social could very easily you know not be that guy that he needs to be in front of everybody but he just decided I have the opportunity I'm going to own it and I'm just going to do it and sometimes yeah. that can feel like playing a character when its behaviors that are new to you but my goal this weekend, you know, and, uh, I've been through that process of giving a talk so many times that now it was not, Hey, I'm scared of what people will think of me, but it was more like, Hey, let me like read the energy in the room and try to create some sort of like movement and, you know, charisma and like mm-hmm. flow in here. Like, let me try and lift, lift up the vibe in here and get people feeling good about themselves. And, you know, it seemed, it seems to have gone well, right for me, but like, the point isn't that it went well. The point is that in the moment, taking the attitude of caring more about the other person helped me get out of my own head and my own fears where it was like, let me try and focus on what they're experiencing and how I can improve their mentality, experience, whatever in this current moment. And I think like that's the difference between you know fear driving your actions versus fear being an emotion you recognize and then move past is like, when it drives your actions, you also stay in a very egocentric mindset. Yeah. So everything's about you, and it's like in most of the situations that scare us, it's almost like the situation needs to be about somebody else for you to get past that fear.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think there's an over uh, proliferation of messages of like live with no fear. Or there was a whole brand uh, about a decade ago called No Fear, right? And I think that what you're saying is is the nuanced in the way that you have to appreciate it. I think fear is something healthy to have. If you have the management skills and understanding of how to actually deal with it, like you did in that scenario, it wasn't that you weren't scared. You rec- like you said, you recognized the fear, but you have put in the work to know how to manage through that fear. And I don't know about you, but when situations like that happen to me, and I'm actually able able to overcome that obstacle, whatever that is, moving forward. I have more confidence. Yeah. And it each each one of those obstacles that you overcome in life, the next obstacle doesn't seem as overwhelming, specifically in like what you said, the social settings, fear of public speaking. I had that fear when we started this podcast. I've always been someone who's who's kept my opinions in the background, moved. I'm very selective in my social circle. I picked and chose carefully who I invested my energy into. And at the outset, I was very nervous. I was like, you know, what am I going to do? Like part of the reason was I'm guarded with my opinions. I'm guarded with my thoughts, you know, Mm. and putting them out in a public setting was was intimidating. But as you can see, if you go back and you listen to the first few episodes, you could hear that fear. You know, I was very, very, you know, I picked and chose my spots when I would speak, you know, and, 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 and thankfully Mecca doesn't have didn't have that same fear and was more than happy to kind of carry the torch and, and, and lead it. But now I'm very comfortable and that's 75 episodes in and that's that's the truth of anything like you actually yeah. have to face your fears and, yeah. and deal with them. And work through them. Otherwise, that fear is going to just stay in you, you know. Yeah. And you're going to stay, stay, stay in place and never move forward, or stay moving, like you like to say.
1: You know, it's so funny too. I was—that's what I was thinking this weekend about the podcast. I was like, sure. I've been doing a podcast for a while now, so I could probably talk for an hour straight.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing as your comfort yeah. level as your comfort level increases, and that's also. When you realize that shit really isn't as big of a deal as you make it in your own head, nothing is. You know what I mean? Even if you say the most off the wall shit and and you make a mistake, you know, in, in a moment. It doesn't mean that if you face that fear and you face that situation and 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 are comfortable with who you are and what you represent, you're going to overcome that situation. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I would say purely with the context of public speaking, there is a way to know when the words that you're saying are words that have not been heard before by the yeah. audience, right? And there's a way to hone in that sense where you're able to very quickly read the, the room and the reaction so that the value you're able to provide is, is meaningful. And so like the fear and like the concern about whether this will go well or not kind of starts to evaporate because of your level of confidence in, in the set there. Right. And it's like, to your point, same thing as, as the high dive, you know, it can be scary, but if you learn the technique, you get enough reps, you know, You, you can get a coach, you can get people to help you who have done it before get some advice, practice in front of people. There's a lot of things you can do. And it's like, we're a lot of us are embarrassed to like even practice in front of our friends for things yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And it's like that, of course, that's nerve wracking. It's super nerve wracking if I were to practice anything in front of my friends. I hate doing it still, yeah. but it's important.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny for me in the, 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 that going back to the high dive situation, it's an example of when you have no fear, it being a mistake, you not mm-hmm. actually getting in your head and evaluating the situation based on who you are and what your capabilities are. Like me as an adult would actually be like, this is stupid. You can't swim. This isn't, you know, and, and, and walk away from the high dive. Me as a kid with no fear and no, no thinking, I just did it and I could have died. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? And so that's where I think, you know, it's, it's all about managing yourself and how you're getting in your own head People get are worried about that, but I think it's very healthy in the early part of your life to spend a lot of time in your own head, understanding yourself. Um, that way, when things come up, you know what you're capable of and what you're not, you know, yeah. what you're good at and what you're not, you know? And I think that that's also valuable. It's like, there's this sense that everybody can do everything, whatever you believe. No, it's about what do I care about? What do I believe in? And what am I going to put out? And once you do that, the fear element, at least from like a chasing your dreams standpoint or being impacting the world how you want to, it doesn't become as scary, right? Yeah. Failure, failure doesn't impact you as much. You and I have failed at a hundred different things at this point, you know, yeah. different initiatives. But because we've also had a hundred different successes, we know and we have the context to understand that both failure and success is a part of the process. And if we spend too much time on either one of them, we're not going to move forward.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, it's fear is like such a, such a thing too, because culturally we, we like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think about, I'm not a horror movie guy. Yeah. You know, I think that's stupid. I think it's stupid to create fear in yourself for no reason. And there's an argument like there's the cold shower community that like, oh, if I can control my fight or flight response, like, you know, I improve my yeah, I mean, there's probably some truth to that. But like, (laughs) there's also like, a whole lot of shit you're gonna have to deal with if you chase your beliefs, right? So like, there's a point where you put yourself out there so much that. You want to take care of yourself. You don't want a cold shower. You want a warm shower because emotionally you're spent from like putting yourself out into the world. You know, you don't want to watch a horror movie. You want to watch a comedy or something light because you just poured your soul into your work all day. You don't want to feel terrorized at night. Right. (laughs) And it's like there's a lot of habits that productivity culture picks up because of fear that people use to make themselves think that they're actually growing and like getting over it. And it's like getting over the response is not the same as understanding where fear comes from and building a mental response to navigate it, right? Like just building a physical reaction. It's like the way, is this my pet peeve about how people approach problems? Everybody approaches it from a surface level and tries to solve it literally. Yeah, And it's like, Yo like you're not you're not going to get from A to B by you know buying all the shit the person at point B has and trying to like dress the same and live their lifestyle like there's a mental change that drives the physical change. If yeah. you don't do the mental change and only do the physical change, the mental change can be started a little bit, but you have to intentionally create the mental change, put in work, journal and have a clear understanding of where you want to be. So if it's like I don't want to be afraid of, you know, uh, starting a business. Right? I'm yep. scared to to start this, you know, bakery. I want to start. Yep. You know, if that's your fear, then you need to start the bakery. You yep. know, I, I think that's the easy response to most people. Like, I'm scared of this. What should I do? Run headfirst into it and yep. see what happens. Learn as you go. It's not going to be as bad as you think. It's actually going to be a lot better than you think.
2: Because your initial because your initial thought was that this is something that you want to do, and if you truly yeah. believe that that's what you want to do, you will figure it out. and you have yeah. to move, move faithfully in that. If you don't, then your results are going to show, you know, yeah,
1: and then yeah. just a quick mental trick that I, I read in a book a while back. So when you're scared of something or worried about something or you're upset about something, you should just add the phrase and I love it" to the end of your sentence. so, if you say, "Oh man, like I'm super scared to start my business, and I love it," or yeah. "I'm super upset about this person, and I love it," it changes and reframes the way that that emotion is felt. So negative emotions just become a thing that you've observed and you appreciate the fact that you still have them, which gives yeah. you a much stronger, uh, you know, place to stand when it comes to assessing those uh, those things that have previously, you know, guided your actions.
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, you know, one other thing on, on, on this topic too is that when you were mentioning, you know, the physical, making the physical changes um, and and making changes based on what the external expectations are of how you should be or overcoming your fear by adjusting that way, I actually believe that it magnifies your fears because it makes you more insecure because instead of just being yourself, You're trying to figure out what box you fit in Mm. that the external world validates. And all that does is continue to magnify your insecurities versus actually dealing with them head first, which would be the process of saying, "Okay, who am I? What do I want to put out in the world? And then going through the process of overcoming the fear of the world's response to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's honestly like since you're a kid. The world tells you this is what you need to know. These are the job options available. Yep. And to your point, never once do we say, Okay, but who am I and what do I want? Yeah. Then I'll choose the relevant skills and training to get me to what I want, right? But yep. we're like taught to go backward. And that that at its core represents the uh, the problem there.
2: Yeah. Yep. And that is the hack. That is the hack is understanding that hey, this is the structure that the world has created. For me to stand out from this world, I can't just follow that mold. I have to figure something else out. And that process of figuring it out is what's going to liberate you and make you a happy person.
1: Yeah, yeah, straight up, straight up. You know, on that note, I think, I think we're getting to that point, man. I think it's time for us to, uh, to wrap this episode. If uh, um, I don't know. Do we have any announcements? Do we have something to
2: share? Uh, n- nothing new. We we have some exciting things in development that we're cooking up that uh, we're mm-hmm. really excited to share with you guys soon. Um, some rebranding stuff, and I'm really excited about our new team member Alex and what he's going to bring to the table. We already have started to have some conversations, and I have a feeling he's gonna he's gonna be a special addition to the team, brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Shout out Alex.
2: And uh on that note, we come to another to the end of episode 75, uh Partha has clearly overcome any fears he had of podcasting because he's still with me. Um and we want to say always remember be you. You as fly and stay moving.